So, more than just a Sunday morning thing. Um, I will start this off by reading from uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 122, verse 1. And it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Uh, of course, we know this was a psalm he's speaking. Um, because for him, just like many of us today, uh, this Sunday morning thing, uh, going to church on Sunday morning, was something he looked forward to. Uh, he fully immersed himself into the praise and worship in the house of the Lord, to seek the face of the Lord, to make sacrifice, to pray, uh, to be thankful for expected answers to the prayers and all the blessings from the Lord. Uh, it is not much different for most of us today. Uh, this Sunday morning thing is a major thing in our lives. We plan for it. We look forward to it. Some even pine for it. And then this reminds me of uh, a medication called Daraprin. Uh, I don't know if uh, we know, many people know about it, but um, it's also called a Sunday Sunday medicine. It's a preventive medication for quite a number of uh, ailments, but mostly for malaria. And so you take it once a week, and um, the recommendation was you take it on a Sunday, and so you wait till the next Sunday before you take it again. But the thing is, even though it was taken from one Sunday to the other Sunday, it wasn't really a Sunday-Sunday medicine, because throughout the week, the medicine is in you, it's working, it's helping to prevent malaria, until you have to top up by the next Sunday. Yeah. So, um, our faith, our coming to worship in church or joining online, just like that medicine, should not be a Sunday, Sunday thing. It should be more than a Sunday, just a Sunday morning thing. Even our other gatherings, like uh, our live groups, our youth groups, they should not just be a thing of the day it happens. It's supposed to go beyond. When we gather, it should be more of a time to refresh and recharge. It should be a time to share, a time to support, a time to give, a time to prepare to go out there and do the will of God. Amen. Amen. So, I recall vividly before this current uh, full online service, we, we are still coming to the church. So, what I imagine is on a Sunday morning, everybody is excited. So we wake up, we get ready, uh, we live on time, and then we get to the church. And uh, thankfully, we were not required to show our proof of vaccination. But I remember I was one of them, uh, those greeters that would tell you, hey, wait there, you can't just go in like that. It's your name on the list. And then you check, and if your name is on the list, fine. But if your name is not on it, thankfully, they will also tell you, Okay, no problem, we put your name on. And then uh, they offer you the hand sanitizer. And after that, they offer you this basket containing these tiny sealed thimbles of uh, uh, juice and a wafer that is sealed on top too, which is the Holy Communion in the COVID era. If we forgot our mask, they will offer us one. And uh, for those who were still unable to join us in the church then, they joined us online. Fine. The, the thing is, no matter the challenges, the rules that surround our new ways of worship because of the pandemic, we are not deterred. We are not discouraged. We must do our Sunday morning thing. We do our best to join the gathering. 
in person or online. And so I will jump to the first uh, subtopic of today, and then you will see the number three, the gathering. This is because even though I'm going to go through some steps in this uh, message, it's, the process is not serial. So I will start with point number three, and that is the gathering. And we know that from the very beginning, the gathering of the brethren has been a place for worship, a place for learning, giving, and sharing, and renewal, and a place where the glory and wonder of God is revealed. I'll read from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. And it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, there are many believers who believe, therefore, in the physical temple, in the church building, or gathering as a place where the presence of God resides. Same with some that take the printed paper Bible almost as a talisman. And I'll give you a story about myself. Uh, for those Nigerians amongst us, you would uh, know about the white garment churches. So when I was 10, yes, about 10 years old, um, I had to leave the village and go live in the city. Uh, that's a long story of its own. But then, uh, from a young boy who used to uh, sleep in the same room with all his siblings on the mat, you know, communal living, I was given one big room with a bed of my own, so I was now alone in that room. And right by my window, you had this white garment church. And uh, I wouldn't go into the shenanigans of that uh, so-called church. But the end result was I became, uh, I started having nightmares every night, and it was terrible. I was often scared to even go to sleep, so I would be awake all night. Until I, it just hit me, I said, the Bible. And so I grabbed my Bible, I put it under my pillow, and that was it. So in the same way today, many of us believe that the church, I mean the building, the physical building, is where God resides. Uh, but the reality is that it is because of the gathering of his people that God comes into the church building. When the church building is empty, even though we know that God is omnipresent, he is everywhere, he definitely would have no need to be in an empty building. And in any case, we know that God does not reside in temples made by the hands of man. And we see that in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He lives inside every one of us, all that have answered his call and received him as their Lord and Savior. And that is why we are two or three are gathered together in his name. There he is, and his glory shines forth. It is this glory that you experience when we are gathered together. And that's what makes you believe that God resides in the physical building. You know? So when we are together in our life groups, when we are together in church, when we are together online, in the summer picnic, everywhere, every place where the people of God are gathered, his glory in you is experienced. But that glory is also experienced anytime, anywhere. But just like a meal shared, you know, when you share a meal, you really enjoy it. His glory is heightened when we gather together. The gathering in the presence of the Lord, 
of course, did not start at Pentecost. It did not start with the church in Antioch, where the, Christians were, where the disciples were first called Christians. The gathering started with Christ himself. He called, and those who obeyed the call joined him. He went about doing good and teaching the people, and thousands gathered at his feet to hear him, to learn from him, and to be fed by him, to be healed by him, and to be saved by him. The gathering started with the call or calling. And so we go to point number one. Remember, we just started from three. So now we are on point number one, which is the call or the calling. One of the very first acts by our Lord Jesus Christ after kicking off his ministry was a recruitment process. Mark 1.17 says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus is God, we know. He knows the beginning from the end. He knew to the very second how much time he had to start up his ministry uh, before he had to die for our sins, be buried, resurrect on the third day thereafter, and 40 days later to rise up into heaven until he comes back again. So without delay, he started his recruitment process, and it was a very unique one. He knew that his was going to be a train-the-trainer school. So he will teach with the objective of bringing up or building up teachers who will teach others. He was very careful as to those he chose for uh, his disciples. He did not choose those who were already wise in their own sight. He chose uh, lowly vessels, people who were ready to be filled and who were also ready to be used to fill others. Though we know that Matthew was a tax collector, so he must have had some form of education, and we know that Luke was a trained doctor, but most of the disciples were men of lowly means with little or no education. So these men became his initial students. Uh, they were all called, and they all dropped all that they were doing. Their everyday life, they abandoned it, and they followed him in response to his call, follow me. So as the days of his ministry wore on, so many others answered the call and became his disciples, ready to do the master's bidding, even as we should be doing today. Uh, the 12 disciples, they remained very prominent. But those who heard him and looked for ways to hear and learn more from him, they were actually many. We see one instance of this when it was time for the Lord our King to make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He was able to commandeer that cult to ride upon because there were other disciples who were ready to release it when he called for it. And we read it from Luke chapter 19, verse 29 to 31. It says, When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a cult, tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So he had other disciples who were ready to also support the ministry. They all answered the call. And then they progressed to the next, next stage, which was the training. The training, and I also uh, label it knowing Jesus. The calling and the gathering all led to one end, the training, which is knowing Jesus. We all received the call, 
in one form or the other. In most cases, those that were already called also called us and introduced us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it happened the same way when Christ himself was on earth. When he called some, some actually went and called your brothers first to say, join me, I have seen the Lord, let's go. Uh, we see that in John chapter 1, verse 40 to 42. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Uh, there are others, even today, who have this same type of encounter that Saul had, and then he became Paul. And just like Saul then, when they have this encounter, they go looking for who will interpret it to them, who will tell them the true meaning behind the encounter they have had with the Lord. Others still hear from the radio, the social media, the TV, and um, others are led to actually seek out Christ because of the, the way of life or the manner of living, the behavior, the character of Christians that they have encountered. So, the training, which is knowing Jesus, is a process. Every day we learn more about our Lord. His sacrifice for us and his ma mandate for us, which is making him known. The training took three years for Jesus and his initial disciples, those who were trained for the purpose of imparting it to others. And um, according to Robert Coleman in his book, Master Plan of Evangelism, Jesus employed an eightfold method which included selection, association, consecration, impartation, demonstration, delegation, supervision, and reproduction. This started with the 12 disciples. But by the time of his ascension, his followers numbered about 500. And today, those who bear the title Christian, they number more than 2 billion in this world today. Uh, we also see Winfield Bevins in his book, How Jesus Made Disciples. He called this process of training the impartation stage, and he defined it as follows. Jesus gave himself away to his disciples by imparting to them everything that the Father had given him. He gave himself freely. He imparted not only himself, but also spiritual truths about life and ministry. He taught them about the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus imparted himself to his disciples, we today must seek to give ourselves to the men and women that we are called to serve. There is a transfer of godly wisdom and character when true discipleship takes place. Uh, do I need to say more? It's no surprise to me then that we as a church, Halifax Christian Church, we have seen it fit to further buttress our mission statement, our vision, and our values. To know Jesus and to make him known is the cyclical discipleship process that Jesus Christ himself began and has handed over to us, not to Pastor Greg, not to Pastor James, not to Elder Peter, not to Elder Roland, not to the workers, but to all of us. To carry on. Amen. So as a church, we affirm that knowing Jesus is not an end. As leaders and disciples, 
brothers and sisters in the church, in life groups, and under other interactions, as they help you to know him, you are also called upon to do likewise, make him known, as our big brother Paul taught his mentees in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. And it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And now we go to the next. Yes, four, descending. So, since time immemorial, there have been the process of apprenticeship, mentorship, and training. In fact, what we call today as education started with apprenticeship. And that is why you will see that, especially with some very um, uh, technical uh, uh, industries, you know, you find that apprenticeship still remains very critical. You have it in uh, medicine, you have it in accounting, you have it in many professions. So, apprenticeships, apprentices are trained to learn from and to mimic their master. So, at the end of the apprenticeship, the apprentice graduates and is sent out to do as the master has trained them to do, including training and mentoring others. That is why in the art world, for those who like to buy uh, art, you know, paintings and all that, you find that many artists, they are actually identified, not by their own name, but by the style of their master. So we as Christians, we should be identified easily, or we should be identified by our own master, Christ himself. And we should do how he also did while on earth, and we should continue to do what he has made us, what he has given us as our mandate, which is to make him known. Amen. So the master leaves a mark on the student. The student imitates the master. And that master, whose student even gets to do better than him, is a happy master indeed, because it means that he has taught his students very well. It means that he is a good master. Any wonder then that Jesus, the best master, the best mentor, the best trainer ever to told his disciples uh, and apprentices that, and of course, he told his disciples and apprentices then, and it includes us today, what he told them. And he told them this in John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He is the best master of all the best trainer of all. What he has taught us, he has taught us and he has given us a mandate and he has given us the power, the authority to even do here on earth better than he did because he is the best master. Amen. Amen. During their apprenticeship, Jesus gradually let the disciples know the purpose of the calling, the gathering and training, which is to know Jesus. He gradually opened their eyes to the truth that his was not an earthly kingdom and not a temporal kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom where those that answer his call and receive him as their Lord and Savior will spend eternity with him. With parables, stories, and answers to their many questions, he let them know who he really was, his mission on earth, how he had to die and would be resurrected, and how that he would leave them for a while. And during his absence, it will fall on them to do as he had taught them, which is to make him known. Like the master teacher that he is, 
During this period of training, the disciples were subjected to various tests. He answered all of their questions and chided them when he saw that they were slow on the uptake or they were still being held back by their Jewish beliefs and teachings, which was a physical rather than spiritual approach to the scriptures. First, he sent out the twelve. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Then he sent out the seventy-two. After this, the, the, the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Amen. But eventually, eventually, he sent out all of us. And we see that in Matthew 28, 19. We know it very well, very popular. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. This includes me and you. So the training was not an end in itself, but a means to an end, the purpose demand it. And so we go to ground zero, which is the purpose, making him known. So our religion, our faith, our gatherings, whether physical or online, should be more than just a Sunday morning thing. It is not a pastime. It is not a social gathering. Pastor Greg, in his Christmas Eve sermon, spoke about the in-between period. That is this period we find ourselves while we are waiting for the second coming of the Lord. You know. So all of the above, the gathering, the calling, the training, the sending, is for a purpose, to keep us busy during this in-between period, to occupy till our Lord's second coming. Um, I will agree with you that this uh, in-between time, by human reckoning, uh, seems so long, even though for, our, for God it is like uh, the blink of an eye. Uh, I liken it to a child on a holiday trip. If you've ever gone on a holiday trip with a child or a long road trip, you will see that that period in between when you depart and when you get to where you are going uh, can become very tedious for children. And so the child keeps irritating the parents by continually asking, are we there yet? But at some point, that child becomes bored and slips off. The calling, the hope, the expectations all become lost in that boring. Our rooms were just uh, very close to each other and we became quite close friends. Um, we respected each other's religion. Um, I was expecting a visit from my wife now and he was also expecting his, a visit from his wife to be. Uh, this was the days when we didn't have mobile phones so there was no way for us to really uh, communicate with them and know what the plans are and when exactly they will be coming. So it was beginning to become a long in-between time. And at some point, uh, Musa was really getting depressed. I felt stronger, so one day I was comforting him and I told him, Musa, don't worry, they will be here one day soon. Uh, Musa's response was that um, uh, this uh, coming of these our women is becoming like the coming of your Lord Jesus Christ. I felt insulted. I was a bit angry. But you know, unlike the Roland then, and I'll tell you, the Roland then was somebody who will respond to, to that aggressively. Yeah. But um, it also got me thinking. 
And I did not respond aggressively. And that statement remained with me for many years till I was able to ask a pastor that I was close to. And this was in um, 2008, many years after. And I asked him, I said, how do we manage this time in between such that our faith doesn't just become, well, I didn't use these exact words, but it fits, that it doesn't become just a Sunday morning thing, that we don't become bored, lose interest, get distracted, get derailed, lose sight of the purpose, and seek for more exciting Christian leaders who preach what the congregation want to hear and not the truth. Entertainers instead of shepherds. Material motivators instead of spiritual motivators who preach self and mind power instead of the power of God. The response he gave me was to direct me to the parable of the talent and the parable of the ten minutes. That was his response. And I believe those parables should speak to us today. The parables enjoin us to be about the master's business during this in-between period, to fulfill the great mandate while he tarries, to spend our time wisely as a people who have a higher calling, a higher hope, great expectations, those who know the purpose. So this sermon series on the Great Commission was developed by our pastors, with Pastor James as the point man. And um, there was a tagline for today's message. And that tag, tagline so, is so profoundly written that I will quote it here. And it goes as follows. The reason many Christians are bored in their faith is because they've never really engaged with their faith. Knowing Jesus should change and reorient our li entire lives. Our primary purpose becomes making Jesus known. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations, growing the body of Christ and making disciples of all nations. Your life can have a bigger purpose than work, even family, Netflix, etc. The way you live can make a lasting difference in the world and eternity. That primary purpose is making him known. But it is one area I agree that many of us struggle this should not be. We have a Nigerian proverb, and I know it will be quite familiar to everybody, that uh, there are many ways to kill a rat. You know, we struggle sometimes because we have not realized that there is an approach to the gospel, an approach to making him known that is fit for every person, every location or environment where you find yourself. Not all sharing of the gospel has to be in your face. Well, I'm talking for the rest of us, not Pastor Greg, because uh, anybody who, who is unfortunate to like, be sat beside Pastor Greg on a train or in a, in, a, in a flight is going to get Jesus in his face or in her face. Amen. <laughs> in fact, many of us preach the gospel without knowing that we are doing so. Many seated here or watching online uh, tend to believe that they have never shared the gospel and they hold on to that conviction. It does sadden them. They are not happy about it. And it depresses their enthusiasm. And the knock-on effect is that they end up not even trying anymore. The reality is this. In one way or the other, I'm sure that we are all about the master's business. But I enjoin us to even go about it more. And that is why we are revamping 
our mission statement, our vision, and our value statement. Amen. So, the reality is that the best sermons are lived and not preached. Do not let the accuser continue to discourage you. Even by living a Christian life, the Holy Spirit can use you to touch lives. Who would go on to seek the God that you serve and that helped you make that impression on them? So, when we truly engage our faith and we passionately pursue God, when we realize that we are gifted to serve, when we affirm that we do all things in love, when we join the pledge that we do all things with excellence, then our Christian life will truly be more than just a Sunday morning thing. We will be fully dedicated to the purpose, our mission, which is to know Jesus and to make him known. We will not get bored. We will be seen as who we truly are, Jesus' disciples. God's power will be evident as we see lives transformed in our community. Our city is made better because we, his church, are impacting the world, starting with our community.